This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Schneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Well, just before we went to air, the province unveiled new modeling numbers that come with dire warnings that Ontario's health system will be overwhelmed and deaths from COVID-19 will exceed those in the first wave unless there is a significant reduction in contacts between residents. The data projects that under the current COVID-19 restrictions, daily deaths from the virus will double from 50 to 100 by the end of February. And those projections also show there will be about 500 COVID-19 patients in intensive care by January and potentially more than a thousand in February, uh, according to the worst case scenarios. Experts say that the growth of COVID-19 is accelerating at 7% on the quote worst days. Also, As we already know, 40% of the province's nursing homes are experiencing outbreaks, and there have been 198 residents' deaths since January 1st. It's the 12th today, and two uh, workers' deaths, tragically, all of them. Uh, So where does that leave us all? And apparently... Bigger restrictions are coming very soon. The numbers, 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. Right now, I'm joined by Dr. Dion Alleman, an industrial engineering professor at the University of Toronto, an expert in contact tracing and pandemic planning, and Dr. Timothy Sly, an epidemiologist and professor at the School of Occupational and Public Health at Ryerson University. Thank you so much for being with us. Hi, Libby. So let us start with Dr. Alleman. Is there anything in in these new numbers that that make you fall off your chair, to quote the Premier? Well, uh, certainly the presence of the new the new newly discovered UK variant, uh, that's the B117 that everyone's talking about. Um, the projections that include um, the spread of this much more transmissible version of COVID uh, really are quite surprising in, uh, in terms of how much of an increase in infections uh, the presence of that variant, uh, variant is going to cause. But other than that, everything is, I mean, the numbers are shocking, but the writing for these numbers has been on the wall since October, at least. So ultimately not very surprising. Dr. Sly? Yes, it's not where we wanted to be, Libby, at all. Uh, we've been uh, discussing this and how it's been getting worse. Uh, we hope by now we would see a sort of a, a leveling off and maybe a, a, a de- declination of those numbers down to zero, but it's nowhere near that, I'm afraid. Melbourne did it so well in their second wave. They had a disastrous second wave, and they were able to bring it down. They did it by severe restraint, and uh, that they used to... Um, uh, um, uh, you know, the, 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 uh, lock, lockdown in in all man, manner of speaking, not not a mild version like we were really considering. And they did it. Uh, China did it after eighty two thousand cases, brought it down to zero. But where it seemed to go in the other direction? 
Dr. Alleman, uh, we've all heard reports about what's coming, uh, a lockdown more similar to what we had in the spring. Do you think that will do it? Uh, I think that that would certainly have a positive impact for us. Um, you know, the, the current uh, quote-unquote lockdown, uh, as uh, the provincial government describes it, is really hardly anything that could be described as a lockdown. It's mainly just, you know, severe restrictions placed on small retailers and uh, and restaurants and everything else, mostly continuing as normal other than gyms and movie theaters. Um, so if we could get back to that hard delineation of essential versus non-essential that we had over the summer, um, get all of those office places that don't need people to be physically present to actually uh, be forced to have people working from home, that could really make a difference. Um, you know, we will still need people to be much more mindful of the number of contacts that they're having and continue to be careful um, when they do have contact with other people, but it would be a good start. Dr. Sly, um, I mean, the word is, for instance, uh, those big box stores, uh, you know, we see big lineups there, sometimes entire families in lineups. Uh, it's been, you know, slammed as something that's really unfair. But uh, also uh, what we're seeing is, is, or what we're expecting, is that the hours will be curtailed, but they'll still be able to operate for, you know, something like 12 hours a day. Yes. Um, what, what we found out, I think, and, and I think uh, the, the briefing today from the ministry's material was was underscored. This was that roughly two thirds of citizens are doing a fairly good job. They're 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 keep they're being responsible. They're keeping their distancing going and the masking and so on. But about one-third, and it's the contact traces, and Dr. Aylman will probably be able to speak to this as well, but one-third of people have become a little lax, a little too too slack. They've let their guard down. Maybe they're fatigued. Maybe they're tired of the whole thing. Maybe they've gone to the dark side and think it's all a, it's all a hoax. I hope not. But about one-third of people, and this is what we found from the very beginning, it's not everybody equally spreading it uh, to, at the prescribed rate of the R naught figure. It's just a few people can spread it to a large number of people. And that's been the case right from the very beginning, right from the end of January or beginning of February. Uh, last year, that is, last year. We've been going for a year. My goodness, isn't that awful? Mm-hmm. Um, yes, and and we just found out that uh, the first couple in Durham that were found to have the UK variant, uh, well, uh, apparently they lied in the first go-around about having contact with, with people from uh, the UK, and they've been fined. But, you know, it's very difficult if you, the contact tracers get lied to. Absolutely. And one thing we should underscore here, too, is that uh, the good news is that, of course, it's not any more uh, fatal, uh, it doesn't cause more serious illness. But, but don't forget that the, the, the threat right now to ICUs and hospitals and medical care is not uh, the proportion of people who become seriously ill. It's simply the vast number of people who are breaking the back of the system. And we, we could see hospitals simply barring the doors saying, go away, we're full, we can't take any more. And that is simply a product of how many people over a given period of time are becoming ill. And that's where the new, vi- the new variant may well uh, just tip the balance in the wrong direction even further. Well, 
the prediction is that ICUs will be full or overwhelmed by February, but, but, uh, tucked away in this briefing, I saw a note that a, a quarter are already full and another quarter only have one or two beds available. What does that mean, Dr. Alleman? Uh, <clears throat> that means that if you need hospital service for anything, not even COVID, like you're just walking outside, you slip and fall and hit your head or break your collarbone or something like that, you might be waiting a long time before you can be seen or treated, or you might not get the adequate care that you deserve because there simply isn't a bed available for you. And I think that's something that people really lose sight of. And, you know, Dr. Slide did did just touch upon this, that, you know, people look at the numbers and say, oh, well, only a very small percentage of people with COVID actually end up uh, needing hospitalization. So it's fine if I go about and, you know, do whatever and take my chances for myself. But at the end of the day, it's, it's just, it's a numbers game. There are so many people infected that now there are so many people in the hospitals that hospitals don't have space to take care of all of these COVID patients and take care of all of the normal run-of-the-mill reasons why people end up in the hospital totally unrelated to COVID. And that's when doctors have to start making these really hard choices about who gets care. And even if you do get care, you might be waiting an even more exorbitant amount of time than you would normally wait. And I know people normally really frown upon the wait times for uh, for a lot of treatments here in Canada. Um, those times are going to skyrocket because there just isn't space for everybody. Well, yeah, and I believe that so-called elective surgery and other elective, so-called elective treatments uh, ha- have been canceled already. Yeah, and, you know, a lot of people don't really understand um, the, the word elective doesn't mean something like, uh, you know, like a nose job or something just completely cosmetic and not related to your function. Elective just means not immediately urgent, right? It means you are able to actually schedule it and have a date for it. Um, and whether that's something like getting a biopsy or um, a knee replacement or, you know, something that can really improve your quality of life or maybe even di- <clears throat> diagnose you with something in time to prevent you from ending up in like, let's say, a, a you know, very late stage cancer situation. Um, all of those things are being pushed back because there isn't a guarantee that there's going to be space in the hospital for you to uh, recover after, you know, you've had that procedure. Dr. Sly, what's the doubling rate and why, why is that important? Well, it's an old uh, party puzzle that you can always fool people with, you know, doubling things. I used to give students a $20 bill and said, if you can fold that in half uh, eight times, you can keep it. And, of course, they couldn't do it to get up to about a six-fold. Our brains aren't really designed to think in exponential functions, and this is what the doubling time is all about. It's that 1, 2, 4, 8, 16, 32 progression. Uh, and it's, it's vital when we look at planning for how rapidly something's going to the community, uh, so that uh, so that uh, uh, all of the all of the plans are quickly upset when something the doubling time becomes a little less than it was, you know, the previous period before, and it, it rapidly topples uh, even the best laid uh, precautions for hospitals and uh, and any other facilities. So yes, it's a it's a it's a vital thing. It's a part of the component for how rapidly something moves to the community. Calculating the R factor as, as well, uh, it, it comes into all those effects. It's it's a vital component for all kinds of planning. The R factor is that that's is the R factor the doubling rate. 
Well, the iron number, there's the initial, uh, what they call the iron noughts. That's the, at the very beginning. That's in the very pure form. It's how many people will, will one case infect as secondary cases. But we can bring that down to what we call the effective R later on by masking and distancing and all of those things. We can bring it down. And once that effective R is less than one, then the, then the pandemic begins to decline and go downwards. Uh, if, if it's more than one, it begins to go upwards again. Yes, that's uh, all part of that calculation, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dr. Alleman, uh again, um, so we've got all of these calculations. We've got dire predictions about ICUs. Uh, what are some of the terrible decisions that doctors might be faced with? Well, <clears throat> if there are limited ICU beds, the doctors might have to look at patients who arrive at the hospital and decide who gets a bed, who gets that care, and who doesn't. Right? They might have to make decisions about who is more likely to survive whatever it is you're you're in the in the ICU for and that's again that's not necessarily covid it might be say a heart attack um and it's just uh, horribly unfair to expect our doctors to have to make these sorts of decisions like that's not what their job is right their job is to try to save everybody and it's the job of the province and the federal government to make sure that they have the resources to provide the care that everybody needs. And, you know, this is somewhere where um, here in Ontario, the province has really just let us down. You know, we, we had that 150 ICU bed usage as a threshold indicator of us being in like a major red flag zone. And we surpassed that number uh, over a month ago. And even as we were coming up to that number, you know, the Ford government really just dragged its feet about implementing any serious measures to get things under control, even though we know exponential spread, you know, it doubles and then it doubles and then it doubles. As we just talked about, like, it doesn't just, like, wind itself down. It doesn't just go away. You can't just ask people nicely to have fewer contacts. It takes strong, bold measures to quickly get things under control. And that wasn't done. And now here we are in a situation that could have really devastating consequences for a lot of people. You know, uh, the Ford government came under a lot of fire from healthcare professionals about giving that notice for the gray zone, the lockdown uh, that started on Boxing Day. We were already in lockdown here in Toronto. And there were some numbers that there was even a pre-Christmas spike because of that, because everybody rushed out and and did their stuff. How um, much a factor is that, Dr. Sly? And uh, I don't know, uh, they just pushed back their announcement to one thirty, and I don't know if they're going to give us notice this time, but, but how much of a factor is that, quote, notice time to people? It, 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 Libby, it's one of the most important factors, and I think we've spoken about this in the past. The, the Ontario government, since the time of SARS-1, has been characterized by by decisions made too late, with too much hesitation, too much umming and eyeing and bringing in things too little, too late, essentially. And it's, it's, this is applies to airport screening, it applies to testing, it applies now to vaccination. If you do the back of an envelope calculation, uh, just on vaccination alone, uh, we have in just in the province of Ontario about 10, uh, 14 million people approximately. If we try and achieve the herd immunity of about two-thirds, it's about 10 million. Each person needs two doses. That's 20 million doses. And if we aim for something like 
10 months, let's take next September, that's going to be 2 million doses a month. That's about 68,000 doses a day. Now, I know it's the early days yet, but already I hear Ontario sort of patting itself on the back a little bit and saying we've got, we're up to 3,000 a day. Wait a minute now. To reach September, we need 68,000 doses. So if we go at the present rate, it'll be about uh, probably about 17 or 18 years before we reach uh, a herd immunity. So this is, this is the problem with delaying. Similarly with the fact that if we hear a death today, that's about uh, 100 infections that took place approximately five weeks ago. So if you delay a decision, say another week, that's another, uh, uh, you know, seven times uh, 100 infections that should have been taking place times, uh, times 40, essentially. It's a, it's a lot of, it's, it's unbearable. Dr. Allerman, what do you think about this prospect of delays? Uh, the province always says you have to give people notice. Uh, how important is is that a factor in your opinion? Well, it's a little bit of a, of a difficult question to answer. I mean, certainly if you give people notice, then people are going to go out in in that small window and, you know, frantically be shopping and doing the things that they need to do. Um, on the other hand, you know, if there is something that, you know, somebody... Uh, needs to do that, like, you know, maybe go to the grocery store before hours are restricted, which I think is uh, one measure um, that uh, the government is expected to announce later today. I don't know if they actually will, but uh, restricted uh, retail and grocery store hours. You know, if you if you can really only go easily, like, at those later times, and, okay, maybe it's nice to to give people that opportunity to stock up so they can hunker down for a little bit. But on the other hand, you end up in a situation where everybody's just in a flurry all out, all out and about and contacting each other. But complicating this issue is the fact that this um, announcement of uh, a lockdown in five days was made right around Christmas time. And I wonder how, you know, how much are people out in a big flurry doing lots of shopping during a normal um, Christmas season in the few days leading up to, uh, to December 25th? How does the movement that uh, that we see or that we saw this most recent Christmas? How does that compare to to past years? Was there, you know, a reduction in what we would normally see compared to the current overall reduced movement levels, or was it just, you know, a, a smorgasbord of shopping as, as usual? Um, and if you know Ford had implemented uh, these lockdowns and told people to stay home and restricted gatherings how many people would have listened at all, right? You know, one thing that was shown in uh, in the province's modeling update today is that, you know, uh, as Dr. Sly mentioned, um, a third of people are, you know, really not following any of the guidelines at all. And, uh, you know, it looks like about, you know, more than half of people are only sometimes following those guidelines. So, you know, things are just really complicated by the holiday season and by COVID fatigue. And again, that comes back to not having implemented measures much earlier, say back in really September, I think it was clear that we were beginning uh, an exponential rise in cases, um, implementing, you know, hard but short sort of circuit breaker um, types of lockdowns that would allow everybody to get back to normal, keep infections low for what we know is ultimately going to be an uncontrollable, you know, week or two of holidays. Um, and then we could still be in a good position. But again, um, you know, being slow to implement measures, implementing half measures when they finally come along means that when something comes along that we can't control, we are just completely helpless to the wave of infections that results. 
Okay, Dr. Sly, we're out of time. I'm going to give you the last 20 seconds. Oh, my goodness. Uh, 20 seconds. What can we do with that? Uh, we have to support people. It's all very well for us to say uh, lockdown, uh, curfew, whatever it is, but we have to support people very much in terms of sick days, for example, not being afraid to stay away from work if they feel ill. Absolutely essential. Okay, that was even less than 20 seconds. Thank you for that. Thank you so much, Dr. Dion Alamon and Dr. Timothy Sly. Really appreciate your time. Pleasure, Libby. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. Okay, and that is all the time we have for today. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.